Our scripture reading is uh, from Mark chapter 1. It talks about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Jesus knew that he would not finish his task when he left the earth. He was crucified to pay for our sins. He came out of the tomb to validate his claim that he was the Son of God. He reached many people with a message of salvation. But before he left the earth, he said to his disciples, you go and make disciples. You will be my witnesses. And so from the time of Jesus' ascension into heaven until today, what we're doing this morning is making disciples. We are his witnesses. But Jesus knew these guys weren't ready. He called Peter and Andrew first, and then James and John, and then Matthew and the others, and they were all part of his team, part of his uh, ministry team. Peter didn't start off all that well. In fact, I was talking to somebody this week about this sermon this morning and saying that Jesus wants us to be his disciples. And this person threw up her hands and said, I can't be like that. I'm not like a a prophet or an apostle. And I said, none of us is like an apostle or a prophet yet. The point is, the point is that Jesus takes us from where we are and turns us into something else. What Jesus said to Peter and Andrew is, I will make you to become. I'm going to participate in your life and help you grow into. Jesus is not nearly concerned about who you are as he is concerned about who you are in the process of becoming under his mentorship. In fact, we read about Peter, something I wrote for Zondervan a number of years ago that uh, is, it has been published a few times. And I, I wrote this about, it was a, a character sketch on Peter. Peter also demonstrated an unfortunate side of his quick-minded characteristic. When he heard silence, he thought, talk. When he, enc- when he encountered disagreement, he thought, challenge, error. Or what Peter perceived as error sparked Correction. In his younger years, Peter exercised little constraint, and his answers, solutions, decisions, and speech sometimes strike the reader as buffoonish. At times, his behavior was perceived as insensitive, unconsidered, and immature. But like many great leaders, Peter survived himself. With Jesus' guidance, Peter's fertile and active mind matured. So Jesus didn't pick Peter because he was such a stellar character. He picked Peter because he knew he could turn Peter into 
a stellar character. We must never forget Jesus' commitment to helping people grow. We must have an uncompromising conviction that Jesus can change anybody. And so we read about the disciples, and we talk about them, and we see their glorious work, and they did some wonderful things. But they didn't start off that way. They didn't start off as accomplished, grown, mature, spiritually informed disciples. They looked a whole lot more like many of you did when you started, and like I did when I started. And so part of the reality of life is to be enormously grateful for the power of God to help guys like Peter become guys like Peter became. So it's not where we start that matters to God. It's where we end up. Where we end up. And so as we consider Jesus' ministry, it was a public ministry, and we read about all of the, the great sermons that he preached and the miracles that he performed, but the bulk of Jesus' ministry and what the Gospels talk about an enormous amount is Jesus' investment in these 12 guys. These people who he said, I will make you to become fishers of men, great people, mature people, people I can trust with this great mission that I have set out for my church. He started off calling them disciples. He called his first disciples. And then Matthew's last words from Jesus to his disciples was, go into all the world and reproduce. Make disciples. Baptizing them and teaching them to observe everything that I taught you. So it's a ministry of multiplication. Jesus said, what I taught you guys, I want you to reproduce. And that's what Jesus is saying to you and me as members of this church and the universal church. What I am doing in your life I'm doing so that you can reproduce it in the lives of others. What a beautiful strategy Jesus had for these guys. So, and, and, and listen to some of the ways that Jesus helped these guys mature. Some of the messages that he gave. And, and hear a common theme that runs through it. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, one of the things he said is, Good trees produce good fruit. It's a process of producing fruit. His first parable Matthew 13 is about the, the sower who sowed the seeds, and the seed that fell on the good ground grew, matured, grew up. It became a plant, and then it had buds, and then it had fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. When his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, one of the illustrations Jesus used was about a man who went to his friend at midnight because he had company, and he needed some bread to feed his company, and he said to his neighbor, uh, uh, get up and get me some food. And the neighbor said, no, no, you're going to have to wait. And finally, the guy, he, Jesus said, this guy badgered his friend until his friend finally got up and gave him food. Well, the sad part, the difficult part, the puzzling part of that is the man who was being asked to give food was cast in the role of God. And, and, and Jesus was teaching his disciples, you need to pray. And God is like this guy who's asleep and says to his neighbor, get lost. I'll give you the food when I'm ready. 
You say, how does that characterize God? Well, you read down to the end of that, and what Jesus said is you must persevere in prayer until God blesses you with the Holy Spirit, with this spiritual development, the spiritual process. So Jesus was saying to his disciples, when you pray and you ask God to mature you, and you ask God to, to, to fill you with his Holy Spirit, you need to persevere. It doesn't happen overnight. You can't be holy in a hurry. You need to hang in there. And Jesus, with these guys, it took him a year and a half. It took Jesus a year and a half of mentoring these guys and gals where they could actually go out and become fishers of men. In the upper room, the last meeting Jesus had before he was crucified. We call it the upper room discourse of Matthew 13 through 17. Jesus said, all this I have spoken while I'm still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Because I guess not everybody does, but some of us tend to forget things and need to be reminded. So Jesus said the Holy Spirit will keep your mind warm. He will remind you. He will help you grow. And then in John 15, part of that upper room discourse, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will produce much fruit. And that's the present tense, the sense of constantly abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. It's a maturation process. It's a formation process that Jesus was involved in. He was involved in this with his disciples. It takes time. In fact, Tom, do you remember who that... I got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Remember that? I don't remember. You don't either. But anyway, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah, good country music. Got a long way to go and a short time to get there. It's a story of my life. It's a story of your life. It's a story of Jesus' life with us. We've got a long way to go. A short time to get there. And only the power of God's Holy Spirit can get us there. So Jesus used miracles to, to strengthen their faith that he was who he claimed to be. He gave them great teaching about how to grow and how to follow him and follow the power of God in their life. He told them parables to make them think so they would see through the story to the message that he was teaching them. The process, as Paul described it, speaking of the scriptures, all scriptures inspired by God and is profitable. Profitable for teaching. To give us a body of literature that says this is how you should think, this is how you should live your life. It's good for reproof. It says, hey, you just screwed up. You messed up. You didn't do what you should have done or you did what you shouldn't have done. Reproof. But then, thank God, correction. I don't know if you've been accosted by somebody who has the ministry of pointing out your errors. You say, well, what should I do? Well, that's your problem. No, no, no. Jesus said, I'll point out your errors, but I'll show you how to fix them. 
reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. So he teaches us how to grow and how to become. I will turn you into, I will help you to become fishers of men. It's a process. Training in righteousness so that you and I, the servant of God, can be fully equipped for every good work. And that was Jesus' process of working with these disciples. So we think the miracles, the teaching, the mentoring, the one-on-one, the correcting, the reproof, the instruction, all that beautiful stuff. But too often we overlook one of Jesus' most powerful teaching methods. It's called life on life. You see, Jesus incarnated truth. Hebrews tells us, and John 1 tells us, that God came to earth as human so that we could understand him in a way we could never understand him if Jesus hadn't come. Jesus was the incarnation of truth. And Jesus said, you know, that worked pretty well. That's a pretty good idea. I think I'm going to continue that. You know your most powerful message, he said to his disciples? You know the most powerful thing you can do to fish for men? Is be what I am creating you to be. There is no more powerful message of the truth of Jesus Christ than the changes he's making in the human life. Some of us can look back on our own experience and say, thank God for what he has done in my life. I think I told you last week about the old gentleman who was the guard at the Wells Fargo Bank in Santa Monica. Chris and I came. Chris makes friends with everybody. He's like his mother, not like his father. So he came out, and this old guy, hey, Chris, you know, and they shook hands, and he took out his little AA badge. I think I told you the story last week. Made a strong impression. And he said to Chris, 20 years. And Chris said, six for me. And they hugged. They hugged, and they acknowledged the power of God in the human life. Harry, where are you? There's another one over there. Yeah, praise God. You say, well, I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah, but you're something. You're something. You're something. Life on life. And I thought about that. Jesus' strategy, Jesus' strategy in putting together this team of 12 was to recruit as individuals and train as a team. You see, these guys were different. And I think as you think about who, who were these guys, who were these 12 And it seems that Jesus intentionally selected people that had something to offer the other people. I think of John, the Apostle John, and Thomas. John is known as the beloved disciple. John just said, oh, Jesus, tell me. I love you so much. I believe anything you say. Thomas said, I got to see it before I believe it. It's Thomas said, I want evidence. Now, how do you think John and Thomas got along? You think Thomas challenged John sometimes? Now, I I happen to be a fan of Thomas because I tend to be an empiricist. And, you know, there are people, there are people who just take it. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. They just, there's others who say, I need to think about that. So we give Thomas a bad rap because as soon as he saw Jesus' wounds, he said, my Lord and my God. So these two very different personalities, Jesus said, I think you guys have something to teach each other. Think of Matthew the publican and Simon the zealot. 
You see, Matthew was a Jew who sold out to the Romans, and he was collecting taxes from his fellow Jews for the Roman government, despised by the Jews. But then you've got Simon the Zealot, who was 100% in the camp of the Rome, uh, against the Romans. He was all for the Jews against the Romans. Matthew was for the Romans, take, collecting taxes from the Jews. And Jesus said, you know, you guys, I have a new commandment. Love one another. And I said, you've got to be kidding. John, I can love. That creep? That turncoat Jew who's been collecting taxes? I want to get the Jews to stand up and get their swords out and drive the Romans out of here. And in fact, the Zealots tried in 70 AD, and Titus the Roman destroyed Jerusalem and the great temple again. As politically apart and opposed as possibly they could be. And Jesus said, I want to put you guys on the same team because you've got something to learn from each other. You've got something to teach each other. Think of Mary and Martha, these two sisters. Luke tells us that Jesus, first of all, it's a wonderful story, talking about Mary and Martha. He says Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus. Well, one day Jesus was going through Bethany, and they stopped at their house, and Martha says, oh, wow, Jesus is coming to dinner. So she's in the kitchen putting everything together, making the bologna. Well, I guess it wouldn't, is, is there pork and bologna? Okay, peanut butter sandwiches. It wouldn't have been that. Anyway, so probably not ham and eggs. But it's making lunch, peanut butter sandwiches. And Mary's in there sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to the teaching. And Martha came and said, hey, Jesus, get that lazy sister of mine to help me. I can't get all this done. And Jesus said to Martha, hey, you know, Martha, forget the sandwiches. I've come to your house to teach. And you're so busy making sandwiches, you can't even sit and listen to me teach. Mary has chosen the better thing. Well, that's a cool story. But you wonder, growing up, being together, you think these two sisters always got along? How about you always get along with your sister? Yeah, I can tell you. You look like an angel. But anyway, <laughs> most of us don't do that so well. My brother and I, when we were about 12, decided my sister was an only child. And <laughs> so, yeah. But they had to get along. They had to make it work. Jesus said, you're part of my team. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. I read to you about Peter a bit ago. Peter was a guy, man, an action, a man of action. He always had his foot in his mouth. I mean, he spoke before he thought. Nobody ever wondered what Peter was thinking. Sometimes they said, I wish I didn't know what Peter was thinking. But then you got Judas. You got Judas. John said about Judas, someplace I got it written down here, that he was a thief. That he kept, he was the guy who kept the, the books, kept the bag, the money. And, and John tells us that he used to pilfer, he used to steal out of the resources that people gave Jesus for his ministry. Now, people who steal and people who are deceitful and people who are kind of slimy and like that. They aren't like Peter. And I think probably Peter and Judas drove each other crazy. But Jesus said, you got something to learn from each other. It's about people on people. 
Some of us are blessed to have people in our lives that are so easy to be around. Lovely people. Lovely people. But there are also some others. Some people are really cantankerous. Some people are difficult to get along with. Some people just rub us the wrong way. Some of us are hard to get along with. And some of you have a spouse who's married to someone like that. But do you ever step back and say, maybe God put us together for a reason? Jeanette had to live with me. Somebody one time said to her, boy, you did a good, you raised two boys. And she said, three. (laughs) I was a, we don't need to go there. But (laughs) Jesus said, I've given you my word to teach you. I want you to read it. I've given you prayer so that you can come and talk with me about your issues. I've given you my Holy Spirit to dwell in you, to teach you, to remind you, to keep you on track. But I've also given you each other. There's a beautiful word in Greek. It's called alelon. It means of one another. It occurs 23 times in the New Testament. 14 of those times the word alelon refers to life on life. Life on life. Truth incarnated. It refers to me learning from you even when you tell me things I don't want to hear. And it's the one who loves you most who is most apt to tell you what you don't want to hear. And just pray with you and stand with you and weep with you, and encourage you, and help you get it right. Reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, so that we may be fully equipped. And that doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in relationships. Just two of those passages, Romans 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, Paul wrote to the Roman Christians, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Alleluia. Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another. Think about spur. (laughs) I never envied a horse whose rider was wearing spurs. How you may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus said, I'm far more interested in where you are heading than where you are. Some of you say, I've taken three steps forward, but right now in my life, I've taken a couple steps back. I'm not where I ought to be. I'm struggling. I'm not really happy with life right now. Jesus said, that's why I'm here. That's why I've given you my word, so you can correct and be instructed and grow. But I've also given you each other. And whatever else this 
body of people is. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It is a a collection of disciples. There are some Peters and Judases. There are some Thomases and Johns. There are some people we just naturally like. There are some people who drive us crazy. Jesus said, I put them both (laughs) in your life for a reason. Let me turn you Let me help you become fishers of men by teaching you through each other. What a great privilege. Thank God.